Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. Okay, guys, before we get into today's topic, I do want to speak briefly about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Now, I'm not going to talk about the trial itself or the verdict. That's been done to death, but there are a couple of things that I do want to talk about. Number one, why was this brought to trial in the first place? I find it worrying that we're starting to put people on trial and bring charges against people based on what the mob thinks needs to happen. Now, understand three people were shot, two people died. Maybe in Wisconsin, it is simply, if that happens, there has to be charges and we have to have a trial. But when you've got video that that kid is being chased by a mob with guns, that seems pretty clear-cut self-defense to me. Now, I was not on the grand jury. I did not see what was presented to them when they were determining whether to bring charges or not. But it just feels like that this was brought to trial simply because a very vocal minority in our society would be upset if they didn't. I feel like that should worry more people than what I'm seeing be upset about that portion of it. But even more worrying than that was the fact that there were two jurors that were not saying guilty or not guilty, and they stated that it was not because of the evidence that was presented to them. It was because they were considering how the verdict would be received by the public. They were afraid that a not guilty verdict was going to lead to more rioting and looting and burning. That's not justice, ladies and gentlemen. If we're to that point in our society, we really need to take a long, hard look in the mirror because we're not performing justice at this point. We are, that's mob rule. It will be done under the guise of the official justice system, but if how people are going to react to the verdict is going to be the determining factor in what the verdict is, that's not justice. And if you have somebody that's actually innocent of whatever they're charged of, as in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, if we find them guilty and send them to prison just because we don't want some 20-year-old on TikTok to be upset, we are sacrificing people on the altar of the mob's rule. And that is not justice. That is not America. And we need to stay the hell away from that. And we're getting there pretty quick. Like I say, it. anybody that watched the trial, watched the testimony, the prosecutors, witnesses, I swear it's like they were on the stand just to shoot holes in the prosecutor's case. I was watching clips of the testimony of these people, and if you did not tell me that that was the prosecutor's witness, I would have sworn we were seeing the defense's side of the trial, because everything they were saying was exactly what Rittenhouse said all along. And you wonder why the prosecutor put these people on the stand in the first place. I listened to a podcast that's hosted by a very high-priced lawyer. Uh, His name's Mark Garagos. The show is called Reasonable Doubt. It's very good if you'd like to give it a listen. But he posited the theory that the prosecutor was trying to goad the judge into calling a mistrial simply because of the fact that he knew that he had no chance of winning that case. But if the judge declares a mistrial, it's not on him anymore. He didn't lose the case. The judge put a stop to everything. It seems like half a dozen on one hand, six on the other to me, because if he's calling a mistrial because your case is so shaky, seems like that still falls on you a little bit, but... I guess maybe it looks better for his record if it's a mistrial versus an acquittal. The one other thing I want to talk about, or actually I just want to ask a question on this one. This trial was about a white guy 
that was attacked by a bunch of white people, and he shot a couple of white people. How did this become a race issue? I know that the mainstream media is always looking to attack a story from that angle, but when everybody involved is white, and you bring black people into it, on what basis are you making that leap? And can we please, America, wake up enough to say, what the hell's going on here? The media has had everything go their way for so long where they're not reporting the news anymore. They are just absolutely manufacturing news, and nobody has called them out on it. But to make that leap, to turn this into a race issue when it just involves one particular race, seems like even the most brainwashed among the left would say, you know, that's a little bit of a stretch. You guys need to tap the brakes a little bit. But we're also dealing with a media that can publish a headline that says Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy and nobody came and knocked out all the windows of the newsroom. So so I guess anything goes at this point. And one last little thought before we move on. I don't like how litigious our country has gotten. I don't root for people to sue very often. I really think Kyle Rittenhouse should sue CNN and MSNBC and ABC and CBS and NBC and all these left-leaning news outlets that have just absolutely called him every name in the book all through this trial. I heard a montage of some of the things that were said about him on, on CNN and the other big left-leaning media outlets. And if you just hear a montage, and it went on, it wasn't 10 seconds. I mean, it went on for a minute and a half where they just had pundits on there, I mean, calling him a deeply racist young man, saying that he was mentally ill, that he went there just to hunt people. I mean, it was, do they not think about being liable for the things that they say and broadcast out? I mean, again, we just mentioned that they've had decades where they can just make shit up and nobody ever calls them out on it. But this was a little beyond the pale. I mean, this they were just absolutely destroying this kid on a nightly basis and they were just i mean it was just personal attacks they weren't there was no basis on any evidence of anything they were saying they were just going after him and it's not people sitting at a bar having a discussion you are broadcasting this to the nation it's on record if he does decide to sue you can't deny that you said it because they can just show a clip of you saying it on a news broadcast I don't get where the thought process begins, ends, and maybe it never starts. I don't know. But Kyle Rittenhouse needs to sue these media outlets because that's the only thing that's going to bring them back into line. They haven't been doing their jobs for decades. None of them report the news anymore. It's all opinion. It's all manipulation. And maybe if a couple of people like Kyle Rittenhouse and, of course, that other kid, uh, Nicholas Sandman, if they sue and pocket a great big chunk of their money enough times, maybe they will get back onto the tracks where they're supposed to be and not driving off across the desert just doing their own thing. But enough about that. I want to go on to the main topic that I want to talk about today, and that is the ridiculous amount of money that people in the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate earn during their time in office. Now, I don't mean that their salary for holding the office. I mean the amount of money that they somehow magically accrue during their time where they're serving the public. Now, please remember, this is a group of people that spend every moment on TV telling the middle-class America that I'm one of you, I know your pain. I saw a list 
And it was the top richest. Now, this was just members of Congress. So it was senators and House of Representatives. And I'm sure if I'd have dug deeper into the article, it would have listed all of them. Uh, But the portion that I saw showed the top 50 richest members of Congress. Uh, The top person was well on his way to half a billion dollars. And even all the way down at number 50, that individual was worth about 10 million. Now, $10 million doesn't sound like a lot, but I sure wish I had a net worth of $10 million. And I don't even know how accurate these numbers are, because just as a lark, I looked up Bernie Sanders' net worth, and everything I saw in Bernie Sanders was listing it as $3 million. Now, in the grand scheme of things, considering the the career path he's chosen, $3 million really is small potatoes. It's irritating to me that somebody that pushes socialism as hard as he does, he has $3 million. But again, I don't know how accurate that number is because Bernie Sanders owns three homes. I do not know what two of his homes looks like, but I have seen photos of one of his homes in Connecticut. And if this house went up for sale, I don't know what the housing prices are like in Connecticut. I could be way off on this, but if that house went onto the market and then had an asking price of less than $50 million, I would be shocked. And that's not hyperbole. That's not me putting my own bias because it's Bernie Sanders and he wants communism so badly. I want you to hold an image in your head of what you think the term palatial estate refers to. And then if I showed you a picture of Bernie Sanders' house in Connecticut, you would say, oh yeah, that that's exactly what I was thinking when you said palatial estate. This is a huge, sprawling country manor. It's all made out of field stone. It's one of those that you've got the main part of the house and then there's wings going off on either side. And it looked like the backyard was about the size of four football fields. I mean, this is if you if I showed you a picture of that house and said this used to belong to the king of France 200 years ago, you wouldn't call me a liar. You would just oh Yeah, that, that looks about what I would expect the king of France to live in. So I don't know how they're saying that Bernie Sanders only has a net worth of three million. And again, only three million. But I don't know how accurate any of these numbers are. Anything you look up, everything's got so much spin on it, and they try to misdirect everything. Case in point, while I was researching this, I wasn't looking for AOC's net worth, but I found an article that was trying to debunk something that was going around the internet. But it was a fact check article by Reuters. Apparently, people were saying that AOC... She was a waitress in New York, and she's only been in Congress for, I think, less than two years at this point. But apparently there was something going around the internet saying that she's already worth over a million. And Reuters wrote an article to debunk this. And I read the entire article twice. They never reference her financial disclosure for this year. Not one single time. They kept referring to when she initially went into Congress Congressional members, where they're public figures, they have to disclose their financial reports each year. They kept referencing her financial disclosure from 2019, which was right before she went into Congress. I think she was sworn in on January the 3rd. But they kept referencing that she only had $3,000 in her checking account, and she had a savings account with about that much in as well. Well, she was a waitress five minutes ago. Of course, that's what it's going to be. We're not talking about 2019. We're talking about 2021. Now, has she made over a million dollars in two years? I don't know. But if you're going to debunk something 
and then you don't debunk anything. You just keep referencing something from two and three years ago. Now, a lot of people will just read the headline, and that's why they do this crap. They'll just read the headline that says, no, AOC is not worth over a million dollars. And that's as far as they're going to go, and that's just going to be absolute proof that they were right and they're going to go about their lives. But that's the kind of stuff you run into, and that's a very long-winded way of me saying that I don't know how accurate any of these numbers are. But the vast majority of members of Congress are millionaires. Now, a lot of them were rich before because you've got to have a lot of money to run for Congress to begin with. But what's fascinating and what I was trying to find, and you can't find it. Now, somebody with better computer skills than me that knows how to get around the big tech left-leaning bias that they redirect everything you're trying to type into to what they want you to see, could probably find this. But what I was trying to find was a breakdown of how much somebody was worth when they went into Congress versus how much they were worth when they came out. Because there seems to be a huge jump in people's net worth when they go into Congress. And if they spend 10 years in Congress, it seems like their net worth will quadruple a lot of times, which is strange because congressional salaries really are not that high. Now, I certainly wouldn't turn down the paycheck that the Congress members are getting, but it's not like they're paid $900,000 a year. They they make a good amount of a salary, but it's not completely out of the realm of sensibility. Again, they, they make a good salary, but it's not insane. So how can somebody that goes into Congress and gets paid about $150,000 a year serves 10 years as a member of Congress, and when they come out of Congress, they have somehow managed to accrue 15 or $20 million in their net worth when they've only been paid $1 million over that 10-year span. The answer for most of these individuals, well, probably the answer for all of those individuals is corruption, but the answer for a lot of these individuals is the stock market. Now, there are a lot of people that say that members of Congress should not be allowed to participate in the stock market during the time that they are in office. And it's actually a pretty compelling argument because you are making the rules that affect how companies perform. And if you have stock in an industry that you're about to torpedo through some kind of spending bill or EPA regulations, or vice versa, you own stock in a company that's about to get a huge benefit from something that's getting ready to pass, or if you don't own stock in that company and you suddenly decide it's time for me to buy a, a bunch of stock in this company because we're getting ready to place a 10-year contract with them, that is absolutely a conflict of interest. And as much as I would like to say we should force our congressmen and women to just put all their personal finances on hold while they go into Congress, that really wouldn't stop anything. They're just going to have their spouses do the trading or they're going to have proxies do it for them. They're still going to take advantage of the tr of the information that they have before these government spending contracts get handed out. And I hate to say it, but if I was in that position, it would be extremely hard. I mean, it's just human nature. If you've got a bunch of your money tied up in a company that is actually going to get destroyed by something that's coming out of Congress... I can't imagine anybody not having the enough integrity to tell their financial manager not to sell. I can't do that because because the insider information I have. But it absolutely is insider trading when they do that stuff. That's supposed to be illegal. Nobody ever gets 
prosecuted for that in Congress. There was a big hullabaloo. There was a group of like 10 congressmen and women that right before the lockdowns happened in the pandemic, and of course the stock market tanked, that dumped a bunch of their stock. Now, they did get investigated. Of course, no charges were brought. But that kind of stuff goes on all the time. Nobody ever gets in trouble. And can you imagine if you knew ahead of time where the government money was going, how well you could do in the stock market? I know nothing about the stock market. Now, I have, me and my wife have retirement funds that are in mutual funds. So we are invested in the stock market, but I am not physically picking the stocks that we're invested in. It's just the money goes into a big pot and the mutual fund purchases stocks based on whatever our plan is. But if I knew what companies were going to get a huge leg up from the government and which companies were going to get left out in the cold ahead of time, I feel like I could really nail it in the stock market. And a lot of our congressmen and women have done exactly that, and they have become extremely wealthy using that information at a time where they're supposed to be serving the country, by the way. Nancy Pelosi is one of the biggest beneficiaries of this. Now, of course, again, she's not doing the trades herself, quote-unquote. Uh, supposedly, it's her husband. Uh, she actually had a spokesperson issue a statement saying that Nancy Pelosi's husband is the one that handles all of these stocks. He does not tell Nancy Pelosi what he's purchasing, what he's selling, and she does not talk to him about it at all. I would like you to raise your hand if you believe that statement is true. And the arrogance of these people, you know, they'll come out and make a statement like that that is just just obviously designed to deflect away from them. And they'll say it with like, yeah, that was airtight. Argue with that, peons. It drives me insane that they think that we are as dumb as they think we are. But according to Nancy Pelosi, her husband does all of the trading with no input from her whatsoever. And I guess it's just a coincidence that Nancy Pelosi's husband bought a crap ton of Tesla stock two days before Joe Biden announced that the government was going to purchase a bunch of Tesla vehicles. I'm sure that's that's just total coincidence. It was just just a lucky pick of a stock market tip and yeah, Nancy, whatever. You didn't tell him to hey, go buy Tesla stock now. We're getting ready to buy a few hundred thousand Teslas for the government fleet. But while that seems unfair and it seems like these people are using their position and their insider information just to beef up their own bank accounts and they're not really concerned about the people that they're supposed to be serving. As the tagline for my show says, it's an optimistic look at modern America, and I come to you with good news, because one of the few things that we have actually done to kind of hold these congressmen's feet to the fire is that they have to disclose any big stock, well, not any big, just any time they purchase or sell stock, they have to disclose that. They have 45 days to make a disclosure. And the reason that's good news is because there is a growing movement on TikTok and there's a couple of apps out there now that follows what stocks these senators and congresspeople are buying or selling to let you know what you might want to pick up for your own portfolio. Now, there's one gentleman, uh, his name's Chris Josephs. He has created a company called Iris. 
the app that goes along with the Iris website will actually, <clears throat> you can set it up to send you push notifications whenever a new disclosure comes in so you can take a look at what is being purchased or sold by these members of Congress. I don't know that I would set that up that way because if you get a push notification every time somebody buys or sells a stock, through the year so far, members of the House and Senate have filed more than 4,000 financial trading disclosures. It's estimated that's a net worth of about $315 million in stocks being bought or sold. So I don't know if I would want my phone going off every 10 seconds every day of the week, but if you would like to try out this plan and see if you can turn our congressman's greed into your own benefit. But like I say, there are actually a couple of websites and there's a group on TikTok that is employing this strategy I did not see any financial disclosures from them because obviously they don't have to tell us how much money they're making or losing. I'm sure they're knocking it out of the park. But by all means, look into this. This would be a good strategy. Uh, even you, know, Joseph said, you know, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. But this might be an explanation for why these people fight so hard to get into Congress. Because there has to be an ulterior motive. The average cost to run for a House of Representatives seat is about $1.6 million. And if you want to run for a Senate seat, you're looking at needing to raise about $10 million. Now, why would you want to spend $1.6 million on a two-year contract that's going to pay you $300,000? That does not make any sense whatsoever. But if you factor in the type of money that these people are raking in, performing insider trading the whole time they're there, and you might go in with a net worth of $2 million, and 10 years later, you'd be worth over $100 million, that's a pretty good motivation to go through the kind of garbage that you have to go through to win a federal seat. One thing we know for sure, it's not because these people are just full to the brim with benevolence and want to help anybody. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's about all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please leave me a like and a comment. And if you really want to show me a little love, please consider subscribing to the show. As always, you can leave a comment at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com or you can go to the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys. I hope you're enjoying your work week. It's a short one. Should be a good one. Uh, the holiday starts for us tomorrow. We're going to be traveling back to Virginia to visit family. Uh, if you're traveling this holiday, please be safe. Enjoy some football on Thursday and a huge meal. And I will talk to you again very soon. Thank you very much. <music>